Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 133 of Control the Controllables. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, if you want a little shot of positive energy, of positive mindset, this is the podcast for you. I really want to give this everything I have. I don't want to like hold back anything, you know? And when I came back on tour after that, I was like a new, I had such a different mindset of like, you never know when it's your last moment, when it's your last match, when it's your last practice, like just give everything that you have. And that was Alexa Garacci. Alexa is currently the world number 12 in women's doubles. She's recently made the semifinals at the US Open with former guest Desiree Kravchek. And last year, she made the final of the French Open. She's a really great example to all players out there of someone that has just chipped away throughout a career, didn't have a stellar junior career, went to college, came out of college, has kept going, rankings kept rising, has dealt with her own adversity. And here she is now finding herself number 12 in the world, and pushing to win Grand Slams. I know that you'll take a lot from this. And like I said at the start, if you want a shot of positive energy, Alexa's your girl. I'm going to pass you over to Alexa Guracci. So Alexa, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's it's a real pleasure. Well, we've had you, we've had your doubles partner. We've had your yep. doubles partner. <laughs> We've had your coach. So yeah, I'm the last one. It it only <laughs> seemed right that we that we finished <laughs> we finished it off. And I do. I there's lots I want to get into, and I want to get into your your life. I always think it's fascinating for people that are listening to this podcast. Lots of players, parents, coaches. You know how there's so many different ways to make it through the tennis world. Um, but I have to start off by saying a big well done. Another a semi-final appearance after your final appearance in Paris last year. So, so how was the New York U.S. Open experience this year? Yeah, it was great. You know, it's it's nice to kind of um, you know we started off the hard court swing with some tough matches and some tough losses. So, to kind of really put it all together, a U.S. Open was kind of bittersweet. Just nice to put it in at the biggest end of the tournament, you know, so um, really happy with the way we played and how, how you know, we're moving forward into uh, the next last few tournaments. And how do you do that? Because I, I actually, I had Joe Salisbury on a couple of days ago as well. And we were, we were talking about the consistency of, of partnerships. You don't see it that often, you know, and, mm-hmm. and him and Rajiv Ram have obviously, and actually, if you look at their results, it, it takes time. And it often, I guess, any, mm-hmm. any meaningful relationship takes time, but how, how do you deal with those moments where you go through a few first round losses and it must be difficult not to look around and start blaming a little bit and getting a bit down on yeah. each other. How, how do yourself and Des deal with that? 
Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, I think we're still learning through it. It's both of our first partnership where we've stuck together this long. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely tough when you go through some tough losses where you feel like you should be winning those matches. But I think ultimately, which I've learned throughout my career is just, you know, learning through the losses, learning, okay, what, what did we do this? Did, was it the communication here? What let us down? What do we need to improve at? Um, and I think as long as we're both open-minded in that, you know, that we can keep getting better and we believe in each other, I think that's the biggest thing. Cause I think, especially in the women's game, I mean, it's easy, you know, gossip and this and that, and it's easy yeah. to be like, Oh, well, I, maybe I could play with this player instead, you know, and, and you, you always think the grass is greener, but I think ultimately you're rewarded when you do stick together and you get to learn. I mean, Des and I, it's crazy. I mean, we had immediate success when we first played together, we won a WTA tournament and everyone was like, Oh, why didn't they stick together? You know, it's like, well, we both had other things going on and partners that we kind of already told previously that we play and, you know, going from then till now, I mean, we've grown so much and what we've learned from each other and how we communicate and, you know, it's funny because like you look at when you play with someone for the first time, you're almost like on your best behavior. You're trying to be like any the best version. Yeah, it's you're like trying to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. And then I feel like you really learn through the losses. Like, okay, like this person needs this when they're down or this person, if they're losing confidence, what can I do to help them? Or if I'm losing confidence, what can Des do for me yeah. to kind of help me? And so I think growing through those and going through those tough moments really like it, it makes it better when those really tough moments happen on court, you really are like, okay, what did, what happened last time? You know? And okay. I think the more tough moments you have together, the better and better you'll, you'll learn how to um, navigate through them. Absolutely. And I, I think it's, it's human nature that we justify, you know, mm -hmm. so if, if something goes wrong in any of our lives, I think the the justification and the blame is 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 a very human response to things, mm -hmm. and, and and I think it actually it takes quite a strong person to be able to actually reflect to to have open honest relationship mm -hmm. to to be able to hold hands up and say look this is what I was feeling in those moments this is the insecurities that I have and this is where I need mm -hmm. you to help me in 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 that area and 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 I just think a lot of a lot of doubles relationships or a lot of relationships in in life don't don't tend to do that so so that being said you know you made the semi-finals I think I text you I stayed up late to watch your quarterfinal mm -hmm. match mm -hmm. where you kind of should have won the first set it felt you know you yeah. had a lot, yeah. of lot of opportunities and you 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 showcased that you stuck together and then you 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 got the win it started to feel, I certainly started to feel maybe this could be opening up for you guys. <laughs> um, and obviously you've lost a, a tough semi-final match. So what have been the immediate reflections on, on, on that and what have the learnings been from, from the semi-final? Yeah, um, I, I think it's tough to look back on it because they played really well. Um, yeah. And I think we both felt like things were just not going our way from the start, you know? And I think if I could go back, I would just really tell myself to relax more, take a deep breath. You know, Craig and I talked about it. It's like, if I could have realized in that moment a little bit quicker, because, you know, when you're down a set in five, one, you can already relax. Cause you're like, you know what? I can just hang in here 
And Des and I, it's funny, Des and I, at one point, I think we were down a set in four one and we looked at each other and she was like, well, let's just have fun. I mean, we're just here. And you know what I mean? And yeah. when she said that, I think we both kind of like immediately started to relax, you know, yeah. because we're like, okay, let's stop putting like so much pressure on the moment, you know? And yeah, I mean, Craig even said after the match, I mean, they've been in this situation a lot. They've been mm -hmm. in final rounds of slams a lot. And for Des and I, it's like our second time. Yeah. And so those feelings are new every time they're new. Um, you know, I try to tell myself I'm not nervous, you know, and, and leading up to that moment, I wasn't. And you never know how you're going to feel in the moment. But yeah, I think just, you know, being in those situations more and more, I think we'll just keep learning and growing and be like, okay, we've been here. Like, it's not a big deal, you know? Yeah. Um, but they, they played well. And I mean, ultimately I felt like they just put pressure on us from the beginning where we just automatically started kind of freaking out a little bit. Things aren't going our way, but um, yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel really confident in the way we're playing. So I think we just keep, keep putting ourselves in that position. I, I feel like it'll, it'll happen. You know, we've had some tough draws leading up to here and that was, that's been tough, you know, for before us open. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, Oh, like this sucks. Like, are we really that good together? It was, French Open a fluke, you know, I think that's anybody's yeah. normal yeah, feelings when you haven't had success in a while. And, you know, we worked really hard. We had a week off. We worked really hard together um, before US Open. And I think just the pieces kind of fell together. We both started just playing really solid tennis. And we're like, okay, this is why we play together because yeah. like we're, we can be really dangerous, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's funny because I see it with Joe and Rajiv. I mean, they, they go through some losses where I'm like, Oh, like kind of surprised, but then they win these big events because they just, you just wait for your moment, you know? And yeah. I feel like to be a top doubles team, you don't have to be winning every tournament every week, yeah, you know? Absolutely. So no, I think no, that's absolutely. just kind of having that. Um, we've just been having that expectation on ourselves, you know, yeah. because we're ranked so high, we need to be doing this or that. And that's just been a learning curve this year for us for me ultimately but what what's amazing as well is and and for people listening you're you're 30 years old and have been mm -hmm. have been involved in this sport at a high level for for many many years and and you're still learning these lessons you know yet mm -hmm. yet you go and you look at 12 13 year olds around the world that think and parents think that their kids are going to have it all all figured out at that age and there's a couple of mm -hmm. things that, that jumped to mind as you were saying it one one the power of the smile and I think we saw it in the in the women's final, which was obviously just the most outstanding final, mm -hmm. I think, but possibly of all time, you know. And, and and it was actually Fernandez, her sister shouted out to her at one point. Yeah, I saw I saw that Smile. because she did look so tense. And it's funny because I literally thought the same thing. You know, Craig, I looked over to him during our match and he just he went like like to yeah. take a deep breath, like kind of yeah. relax, just yeah. you know. But yeah, yeah, it's so important. Sometimes you just kind of have to relax your face and everything else starts to relax. And the second thing, uh, uh, a good friend of mine, Freddie Nielsen, who Freddie is someone I played a little bit of doubles with. And this this might help you in future or it might not. But he, he said something to me once when I played with him and it really stuck with me. We'd lost the first set 6-3 against, we'd actually, in the round before, we'd beaten 
one guy who had won Wimbledon the week the year earlier, and and so that he was ranked about thirteen in the world, and his partner was ranked about forty in the world, and I was probably one fifty in the world, and so it was going to be it was a good win. So then expectation rises next round, and we lost the first six three, and it was that frustration, that feeling, and Freddie turned to me and said, Dan, we don't need to make it happen. We just need to let it happen, you mm-hmm. know. And it was a really calming thing to say at that time and and it's something that certainly stuck with me as I've gone into coaching that kind of moment you can see it when people are trying to force it they you know mm-hmm. they want they want to make things happen whereas just that ability to just just allow it to happen um so yeah so that might be something that you take on in the future or it might not be but that was yeah if, definitely if, if Freddie's listening thank you for those wise words <laughs> Ready. It took him to a Grand Slam title. So um, it's it, it just listening to what you're saying as well. It's it's I, I had a little look and five, six years ago, you were two, five, seven in the world doubles. Then the next year, one, four, eight, then 74, then 58, <laughs> then 26, now 12. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's look, Emma Raducanu has gone from 360 to 20. That, that yeah. it's, not, it's not normal, you know? And, and I, I guess my, my thing around that is, and again, for those listening, this sport does take time. It, it, doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't just happen. It's not an instant gratification sport. You know, so how, how have you been able to, and we're going to get into your story in the beginning shortly, but how have you been able to just keep chipping, keep moving, keep, keep, keep going that way. And, and, and I would imagine having to deal with the doubts and the, all of those things along the way. Yeah. I think the more matches you play, the more you learn and the confidence grows. You know, I think I was able to, you know, starting out with the small tournaments, winning 10,000, 15,000, 25,000, you know, and as each tournament, gets bigger and bigger. I mean, I have a lot of matches under my belt. I'm feeling really confident. Um, yeah. And I just kind of grew on that every, every year. I think I just felt more comfortable and comfortable and comfortable. And I think just being around all those players all the time, knowing like, Oh, wow. Like I'm at a 25 K, but there's a girl 150 here. Like it's I'm 300. She's 150. Like there's not that big of a difference, you mm-hmm. know? And I think in your mind growing up, you think you put on a pedestal, all these top players playing qualifying in a slam or main draw slam. But I think just being around them each, each week, each tournament, as the years went on, I just gained more and more confidence with myself and, and my tennis. And I think too, playing against those players week in and week out, I mean, you mm-hmm. just get better and better and better. And, and how much of it is improving your tennis and how much of it is feeling more and more like you belong? I think so much of it is how much is feeling like you belong. I think it's yeah. so mental. I mean, I'm, I think some players are like, oh, I have to practice so much. I grew up just, I mean, hardly practicing an hour or two yeah. a day. I mean, I wasn't a big practicer. I was like, I want to play matches. Let me play matches. You know, that's how I really started to get better and better. So you've brought it up. That's all, that's normally our starting point on the podcast, mm-hmm. but I, I certainly couldn't have, have jumped straight into that when you've just had such a good US Open. I'm speaking to someone who sounds very American. <laughs> um, my, my little bit of research I've done, you were born <laughs> in America. Mm-hmm. Um, you represent Chile. Mm-hmm. Give us the story. Where did it all yeah, start? Yeah, so I was 
born and raised in the U.S. Um, my dad is from Chile. My mom is American. They have a club here in Florida where we live. So that's kind of how I started playing tennis was um, I literally started to walk on a tennis court. Um, and yeah, my my dad was actually the first foreign athlete. He played at Alabama. Okay. First foreign athlete at Alabama. And then I followed in his footsteps. I went to Alabama for college. And then I actually played for the U.S. and for, with the USTA and did all of that, all of my junior career. And then I really switched I think I was 25. So it might've been five or six years ago is when I started to realize, okay, I'm doing better and better in the pros. Um, I knew that there, I was playing a tournament down in Chile and they kind of approached me about maybe getting dual citizenship and potentially playing fed cup for Chile. And as an American, there's so many people, there's, there's so many American girls, you know, there's hardly any chance unless you're top, 20 in the world, really, that you're able to play Fed Cup and have these opportunities. Um, so yeah, I it was pretty easy. And I switched and I was like, thinking, you know, they, they helped me a lot helped fund me being able to travel, which was a huge part why I switched because I mean, being in America, you're not really getting anything, yeah. unless you're the top junior prospect, you know. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much why but yeah, I'm fully American. Um, you know, I love Chile, my, my whole dad's family is down there, I go down there at least once a year. But yeah. But you're now 12 in the world. I know. <laughs> uh, what number are you in America? Would you be in America? I would be one, I think. My dad told me that today, actually. Wow. Because... So, wow. So how, how does that make you feel? I mean, it makes me feel great. I mean, ultimately, I don't think it really... I mean, I'm, I would be honored to represent America or Chile. Um, I think I have pretty big heritage in both. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with playing for Chile. I, I, it's crazy because I really think I'm really, really happy. I do play for Chile because they give me so much support. They are so into tennis. There are so many fans in Chile just because of the athletes that have come, you know, the, all, all the men so far, you know, Masu and Gonzalez and Rios and Grin, you know, there's so many, and in the U.S., you would just be another name. I mean, if I was the number one doubles player in the U.S., it would be like, oh, who cares? You're not Serena. You're not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. And do, but you, to get them, that? do, you, do you get that from, from the press in Chile, from the, you know, do you have a big fan base in Chile? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of my followers on Instagram are pretty much from Chile. They They follow me. They support me so much. I mean half the tournaments I go to more than half, I feel like there's always someone in the crowd that's from Chile. You know, there's just this like sense of like, Oh, yeah. we want to go support her, you know? And if you were an American, they wouldn't, they wouldn't care, you know? Um, no, no, it's, 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 it's nice. It, I think it's, it's, it's a lovely one to, to have. And again, if I go back to my junior days, I was Fernando Gonzalez's age. So he, he actually beat me in the quarterfinals of under 14 orange bowl. And then mm -hmm. Nicholas Masu and, and and I know how patriotic they were, you know, and in like the world team events and you know, oh, I, think, yeah. I think they won the gold medal, maybe, or, or I think they won. They did. I, they won. They won the gold. Was, I think it was it in was Athens. Big in deal. It was a big, yeah. big, big deal. And and in terms of, and I'm, it's probably a bit of a selfish question because I'm a I'm a dad of three and a couple of them that play tennis. And I'm a tennis coach. 
Um, it's, <laughs> it's amazing how many on the podcast have had that start. You know, obviously mm-hmm. Judy Murray, Jamie Murray, but there's been there's been a lot that that have. Is it a benefit or is it a burden to have <laughs> parents as tennis coaches? Yeah, I mean, looking back now, I think it's a huge benefit. But when I was in the moment then, I would be like, it's a burden, this sucks. Okay. Like, you know, it's hard to see the big picture, though, when you're that young and you're growing up. My dad, my parents were so hard on me. You know, really? my dad expected so much. Um, I'd get the second place in a tournament and he would pull over the side of the road and throw away my trophy and be like, this isn't good enough, you know? And so I always had this high expectation of like, okay, I need like, this is like what I really need to do. I need to be number one, you know, I need to be the best at what I'm doing. And it's funny because yeah, looking back now, I'm like, I'm so glad my dad pushed me. There's, I can't even tell you how many times I was like, I'm quitting. I'm done. This is it. You know, I would lose a match and he'd take away my cell phone back then, you know? And I'm like, what other 14 year old girl is getting their cell phone taken away by their dad when they lose a tennis match, you know? So, you know, looking back, I'm like, okay, I wish he wouldn't done some of those things, but I'm glad he did because he instilled this, I don't know, this, this like hard work mentality for me that, I look back and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm really happy I, I did that and I worked that hard. Well, being tough on the results, because I think this is a fascinating subject yeah. it, it, because you'll obviously, you'll have, you'll have different trails of thought on this. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the toughness coming on the results or the toughness coming on the work ethic, I guess the concern that I would have with, with some, some players, and I see it as when the parents are so tough on the results, they yeah, learn, they learn to hate tennis. That it potentially brings mental health problems down the mm-hmm. line. It, they they have a negative association with the sport. Yeah. Whereas if the it was kind of both, it was like both for me. I mean, he was tough on both. But then at around fifteen, um, sorry to interrupt you. Or no, I was like thirteen. I actually got sent. I was started being homeschooled, and I got sent up to a family friend's house up in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. And I lived with them, and he was a. He's a financial um, investor, has his own firm. And then he also was like a football coach and he specialized in like mental toughness, stuff like that. And so as a 13 year old, I started going up there and and it was the best thing that my parents ever did actually was trusting someone else because I needed to get at that age. I needed to kind of spread my wings and get away from my parents because it was just going to be tough for me to kind of grow. and, And I was wanting to, um, rebel. And so I went up there and I got, he instilled this like work ethic in me. And it was, I learned so much. It's funny because your podcast is, con- un, you know, control the uncontrollables, control the controllables, control the controllables. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of the first things he instilled in me actually was what can you control? And it was yeah. so much of it was you can control, you know, your work ethic, how hard you fight, you can control um, your like being positive, always was being positive, you know, mm-hmm. and working hard. So that, for me, it was like learning those things being like, okay, if I work really hard and I stay positive, like good things will come. You know, I just have to trust myself and believe in myself and you never know what, whatever that, whatever happens, happens, you know, and just believe that, you know, they, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty um, religious. And so I just really believe that God has a plan for all of us. And I believe mm-hmm. that like, whatever is meant to happen is hap- is going to happen. And, and he has a plan and, 
I mean, that was one of my big things is I, I tore my ACL when I was 23 or 24. And um, that was a huge changing moment shift in my career. After that, I really was like, do I want to do this or not? I contemplated being done. And I decided I was like, well, I want to be a healthy human being, number one. So I'm going to have to rehab my knee. I'm going to have to get surgery. But I'm, I really want to give this everything I have. I don't want to like hold back anything, you know. And when I came back on tour after that, I was like a new. I had such a different mindset of like, you never know when it's your last moment, when it's your last match, when it's your last practice. Like, just give everything that you have. It's it's, it's amazing sentiments. And it, how how old Alexa were you when that happened? Because I think you know that adversity. I'm also a big believer that I think adversity makes a lot of people. You know, and I think mm-hmm. actually it's when people don't have to deal with any adversity in their life that the, the, the first sign of difficulty, they quit. You know, mm-hmm. whereas if you if you have to deal with different adversities and, you know, it sounds like in your own way, you had had some of those adversities. But what? how old were you when you when you had your big knee operation? So it was 2015. Um, so I tore it. I was just turned 25. Okay. And yeah, I was at the time I was ranked at like my career heights. I was singles. I was like 310 in singles. I was around, I think like 220 or something in doubles. I felt like I was really starting to make moves. And yeah, at that point when I tore it, they were like, oh yeah, to get a projected ranking, you have to be top 300 singles. Like literally just missed the cut. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, I have to start over from scratch, you know, like this is going to be so hard. Like, how can I do this? How can I do this? You know, I knew how tough it is. And I just knew I was like, well, I just got to take one day at a time. I just have to do one thing at a time. I have to rehab, you know, just go through the steps one day, because if you start thinking about later and later and how much you're going to have to do it, it's so overwhelming and you can't process it. It's hard to overcome, you know? So put my head down and was just like, okay, like you just got to do this rehab grind, like every day, twice a day, whatever they tell you to do, do it, you know, and give your best effort. Cause I, I just didn't want to have any regrets. I just felt like I wasn't done yet with tennis. I just, I had this like weird feeling that I just can never explain that. I felt like, cause I was so, I, I, I was pretty much going to be done. And I was like, no, I just, I think I, I'm not done yet. It's unbelievable the similarity of that story. So I've I've told you earlier on. I'm in Portugal at the 25k event mm-hmm. right now, and the player might actually he's he's going to bed now, ready for his match tomorrow. But he 18 months ago had a big knee operation, age 25, ATP ranking of 310, <laughs> doubles ranking of about 240. I mean, it's mm-hmm. un- like I can't tell you how. So, so, the, so the so the what he's going through right now. This is his fourth tournament back, and 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 I guess it would be great, for, uh, not just personal advice, but also for the, there's lots of people that experience this. You, I get the bit, and I've seen it happen. Okay, a bit between my teeth. Got to rehab anyway. Got to get healthy. Got to do that. How did you deal with the bit of coming back playing and maybe not playing to the level that you expected of yourself? Or were you able to hit the ground running with the level when you No, it was, oh my gosh, it was miserable at first. I had this huge knee brace on. I remember going down to this tournament. I think it was like in Colombia. It was like a 10 or 15K. It was like one I could get in off of no ranking, basically. 
and I have to play this other girl from Chile actually. And so there's a lot of pressure on that. And it's my first match back and we're on clay. She had so many drop shots. That's just the way she plays in general. Anyways, it was so hot and humid. She's drop shotting me like crazy. You know, before my injury, I would say I was, we were very competitive. You know, I'd like to say I would win, <laughs> you know, I'd beat her, but yeah, she crushed me. And I like came off the court in tears. Like I am like mid match, like crying, like trying to pull up my brace, but I'm sweating so much. It's like slipping off. I'm like, this is miserable. I'm not meant for this, you know? And it's funny because I had just set this high expectation for myself. And then, you know, it's funny, like I come off the court and you know, my mom was like, oh my gosh, don't worry. Like you're out there competing. Like you should just be proud of that. Like, don't worry about like the result, you know? And I think it's just so you just have to really focus on that. Like focus on building, getting better. Don't being worried about the result because it's going to happen eventually, you know? And it's funny. I put in a, I came home. I put in a couple more weeks of work. I went to another tournament. I got a wild card in and I lost a, a tough one, but I felt way better on the court. I was like, okay, well, I, I'm feeling better. I lost, but it's okay. Yeah. And then I go down to Chile and I play it like, a, I think it was a 25 K and I made it to the semis. And I was just, I each match just getting more and more confident, better yeah. and better you know, and then I just finally felt like I was just putting myself in this position where, you know, then I'm, then my knee brace could come off. And then I just felt like so much better, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's tough with anything, but I think just pushing through it. And, you know, I actually spoke, I don't know if you know, Louisa Stefani, she's, mm -hmm. um, she got hurt at the uh, US Open and she tore her ACL. And yeah. so I've had a lot of talks with her about like, Hey, like, this is going to suck. And like, it's not going to be fun for like the first eight weeks, especially it's going to be painful, but like you can get through it. Like it, if it's, it's only made me so much stronger, not yeah. only in my career, but in my personal life, when I tore my ACL, I actually met my husband and yeah, because okay. I was home, I was home for a long period of time, which I never had been. I was always on the road. I was always, you know, home for a week or two at a time. And it's just, it's crazy how things like that can happen. You just have to try to look at them in the best way possible. Like I, at the moment when I look, I was like, okay, I'm going to challenge myself to be in the best shape ever. You know, I'm really going to push myself. And then, you know, looking back, I'm like, wow, I, I got into good shape. I met my husband, like things are going great, you know? So I just feel like it's, the things always happen the way they're supposed to. Uh, yeah. And, and there's always a, there's always a reason, isn't there? And, and, and I think, sometimes and you're lucky almost to know that reason maybe a few years down the line I think sometimes it can take 20 30 years you know mm -hmm. when you speak to really old people but really wise people you know mm -hmm. they're able to say well that happened when I was this age but that enabled this this this, yeah. this to happen you know and, right. and open it up but I, I just want to pick up on one thing Alexi you've said because I think you've said it maybe three or four times now is high expectations and it and it and it seems as if uh, high expectations in in any person in life, but certainly in athletes, never seems to go that well. You know, and one of one of my favorite ever comments is it, statements is have high standards but low expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, is is that something that as you've got older, you've been able to lower your expectations and almost separate that stress of 
that and then put your work into your day-to-day habits your you know what what you're doing on a day and then and ultimately trusting that process of what you what's what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and then the results will naturally flow from it yeah definitely I mean one of the things you know I mentioned that the um the coach I worked with in Alabama when I was 13, 14, I mean, he always told me, he's like, I should be able to go up to one of your matches and not be able to tell if you're winning or losing. I should be able to go up and just see that you're playing every point the same, no matter what, you know? And I think he's like, not focusing on the score. We always had that mentality of just like, don't focus on the score. Like just go play and see what happens, you know? Cause I think so many times it's crazy. If you think about it, a lot of times you play points so differently with what the score is, whether you're up or down, same with us open, you know, like I mentioned before, and I'm like, it's some, it's crazy. Like going back to some of those things when I was 13, 14 learning that I can use now in my career where you think, Oh, like, I'm not really going to use that. Like that doesn't matter, you know? Um, But yeah, I, I just feel like that stuff like that to me is, is so important. And that's how, you know, I think moving forward in my career, I just need to go back to some of those sometimes and remember those. No, no, absolutely. And to loop you back to your parents, how's your relationship with your parents now? Yeah, it's great. They actually were at US Open. I think it's the first time they were able to come see me play in person. Oh, wow. I think in like a year and a half, two years, they haven't been able to to see me. So it really meant so much. And it's funny, like my dad's kind of stepped back as my coach. He kind of helps me here and there if I need something, if he sees something. But it's really nice now just for them to be able to enjoy it. You know, they still get so stressed watching and stuff half the time on TV, but I think it's really nice for them. All all their hard work has really like brought me to this moment. And I think they're just trying to enjoy it. And your brother, Stefan, who Mm -hmm. I've heard you speak on numerous occasions about your brother who has Down syndrome, but has been Mm -hmm. a big inspiration in your career. Tell us, tell us the impact Stefan's had on your career as well. Yeah, I think it's some of those moments to look at him and think about when you're in this tough moment, you're like, wow, like he just takes, he's always so happy, you know, and everyone always thinks I'm so happy. I always have a smile on my face, but he is always so happy, you know? And I think it's just, it's, it's something I, I think has helped shape the person that I am, you know, to be just relaxed and carefree a little bit and just, you know, just, you never know what can happen tomorrow, you know, Mm -hmm. and just to always you know, enjoy the people around you and the relationships that you have. I mean, I'm so lucky. I mean, all the time I think about my family when I'm traveling now, because I'm like, they're just so important to me. Well, I don't know what I would do without them. And I think too, a lot of it is the success, you know, Craig and I've talked about it. A lot of the success that I've had now, it's so nice because I feel like my personal life is just, it's in a really good place. And I feel like when you're in a really good place personally, like, your career can flourish a little bit. Like you just, you have less worries, you have less things on your plate, you know? And I think, yeah, my brother's just been a huge impact in that. Now, at this point, I'm going to let you know that I'm an LSU Tiger. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, anyone that's listening that doesn't know that, just look up LSU and Alabama. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, and, they and have t- a heated rivalry. <laughs> um, I was actually, I went, I picked the wrong year. I went three years ago when they were one and two in the nation, I went back and 
and Bama uh, LSU didn't score a point. It was like <laughs> 25-0. Next year was the year when LSU beat them 65 mm. or whatever it might be. So I, I missed it by one year. I picked the comp. That was the first time I've been back in 15 years. So I was I was mad. I was mad at myself. So there's a lot of tennis players go to US college. Mm-hmm. You know, there's on the men's side, I think it has a a strong feeling of it, it it is a pathway into being a professional tennis player you know i think the mm-hmm. statistics do back that up and and you get some grumpy old people that go oh well if you go to college especially if you're a girl you may as well give up now yeah that's starting to change a little bit but there is factually it hasn't been as successful so when you went to college did you go in with the mindset of i'm going there to then springboard into the professional game or did you not at all right yeah I totally thought I remember like starting to look at colleges and being like okay I guess this is where you know my career is taking me and this is going to be it kind of thing I had played a couple challenger events before when I was like 16 17 and I got crushed and I was like this is just you know this is the road I'm I'm supposed to go on I needed to be surrounded by other people that were trying to do the same thing that were just, you know, trying to improve and get better and being a part of something bigger than myself. I thought it's funny. Like I remember when I decided to go to school, I was like, wow, so weird. Like, I just feel like my tennis career isn't over, but it is at the same time. I just knew I almost felt like a failure in a way. Cause I was like, well, I'm not going to play pro, you know, everyone always had these expectations, you know, she's ranked this high, whatever, like she's going to play pro one day. And going to school, I immediately, you know, learned right away, like, okay, I wasn't training the way I was supposed to be training. You know, I wasn't working out the way I was supposed to be working out. I wasn't eating what I was supposed to be eating. Obviously, in school, my freshman year, I was drinking a lot, partying a lot, just so excited to be away from my parents. And um, then I just kind of found my groove. I kind of just got better and better. I kind of grew up. I needed to grow up. I was so immature. I couldn't have imagined playing on the tour at that age. I just felt like I wasn't, I I didn't have the tools yet. I wasn't surrounded by the things I needed to be surrounded by. I didn't know what it took to be at that level. But yeah, I felt, I felt like school is so important because it, it really teaches you like, it makes you like have really good time management, which I think in tennis is really, really important because you have so many things to manage all the time you know, that along with school, with your social life, with tennis. I mean, there's so many things to juggle and that you have to figure out on your own. I mean, it's how many hours can you function on, uh, you know, going to class and doing all the things you need to be doing and then being, and as well, doing them really well, you know? So I think each year I just got better and better in school and um, higher ranked and higher ranked and didn't even think then that I really even wanted to play until my senior year. I actually went through, it's funny, I went through, um, I played number one or number two, I played number one doubles always. And I was always like, the number two player. And I was always like, the solid number two, like, you could always count on me at number two, I was gonna win. And I remember going through this uh, couple week period where I lost like seven matches in a row. And my coach is like, you need to go to a psychologist, my college coach. And I was like, is something really wrong? Like, I think I'm like, I'm losing a lot of matches, like six, four in the third, seven, five in the third. Like I am, it's close. It's not like I'm getting blown out. And when she did that, I was like, 
my, I went back to my trainer in Birmingham who I'd spent my more, my mental coach. And he was like, you're playing great. Just trust yourself. Like stop these, you know, you're fine. And I remember going in after that and being like, yeah, I am fine. Like what, what is, you know, what is she talking about? And I, you know, match after match after match, I started winning and winning and winning. And I just learned from those moments of losing and being like, not, it's not a big deal. Like losing isn't the end of the world, you know? And, um, I ended up making the semifinals of singles and the NCAA, NCAA mm-hmm. tournament and the semifinals of doubles. And a lot of the people I beat were going pro and the super highly ranked and um, up and comers. And I was like, well, maybe I should give it a shot. I mean, I should at least try after school. I mean, I really had no plans at that moment. I didn't like give my resume into anybody, you know? And yeah, after that, I just, started playing and yeah, just was like, I'm just going to see where this takes me. You know, there's no time limit. I'm just going to kind of see what happens. And yeah. So that's where, where it took me. You are a big advocate for low expectations. <laughs> you know what I, mean? Like, I mean, this is, this, this is coming through loud and clear. You know, you, 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 you had low expectations going into your college career and, and I believe you ended up being, and I'm going to use an American word. I've always wanted to use this word, even though it's not a real word. <laughs> just the Americans use it. The winningest player in Alabama history, I, I believe, winning 103 yeah. matches for you mm-hmm. know, which is which is immense, you know. And, I, and 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 again, I think it's a great it's a great story for people to hear because it's you know that the world's our oyster you can go and achieve things but i think we we wear ourselves down sometimes too much with with these big plans and these big yeah. plans of you know that has to happen that has to happen rather than just letting it happen so you've you've now you've you've moved out of college you've gone on to onto the tour was that a decision that you were like right i'm going to do this properly I'm, I've got a coach I've got the right setup or were you just were you just feeling it out at first yeah I was working with one of my college coaches he's my assistant and he was in Birmingham and I was working with him training with him and he kind of he played a little bit on tour he played at Kentucky and I just needed someone other than my parents because you know they hadn't ever been in that position really before after that so they kind of didn't know where to take me you know they could give some advice here and there but ultimately I wanted to kind of talk to someone who'd been there and someone that wasn't my parents or my dad. And yeah, he gave, you know, he was like, okay, you're going to need to go to Turkey and you're just going to need to go and grind out these 10 K's, you know, it's going to suck and it's not going to be great, but this is like what you're going to need to go do. And so, yeah, I mean, I took the tough road and I went there and I just grinded it out for weeks and weeks and weeks and came back with, I think it, I'm going to say, I came back with a doubles title for sure. And maybe I remember playing Ocean Doden, who's now like top hundred in the world. I played her and I'm thinking in, in a semifinal match and beat her, but yeah, just kind of took the tough road and just kept building and building and, you know, ultimately wanted to play in the U S cause it's, it's tough being out there playing some of those smaller events, you know, in, in foreign countries, but um, yeah. Well, nowadays you have the option of Turkey, Tunisia and Egypt and that is it. I, mean, I know. I mean, especially, and look, I'm, you know, going to absolutely defend the girls out there right now on this, especially in the girls. It's like, 
there is zero options. And since the, since the pandemic, it's pretty much one of those three and, and possibly the odd one, obviously in the States and possibly the odd one in Spain or Portugal, but the, the, mm-hmm. the options. So, so that road's not getting any easier for, for anybody, you know? No, it, not it, at it, all. It, it really isn't. But when, I guess the decision, and I asked Joe Salisbury this as well, when did the decision come to go right? doubles is doubles is the way for me now it was after my knee surgery um I was playing both singles and doubles and I just immediately started having a lot of success in doubles and yeah I just felt like it was one of those things where I was missing the qualies sign-ins because I was still in the finals of doubles the previous week so I couldn't even make it to qualies for the next tournament you know so then I kind of started getting pulled out of singles not by choice, but just because of the way I was, you know, how I was doing in the other tournaments. So when that started happening, it was like, okay, well, what do I, you know, what do I do? Like, you know, I guess I'll just, I'll try to play, I'll try, I'm going to focus on doubles. I'll try to play both, see what happens. And then, yeah, I mean, I think too, with the knee and everything, it was ultimately going to be like really tough to do both, especially the first kind of year coming back. Um, and that's when I really started to just focus on doubles. Did you feel like you'd failed? Um, not really. I mean, a little bit, but then I was like, I'm so like, I always just felt like this sense of like, I just loved playing doubles. Like I loved it. Like it was just so much fun. I felt like I was really good at it. And I was like, I feel like I can excel here. I just had to navigate. I didn't, hadn't played any WTAs before. I had to kind of navigate this whole new world. Like, how do I even get into a WTA? Like, what does this even consist of? You know, like, I don't even know the website to sign in, you know? Um, But yeah, once I kind of started playing those and figuring out, well, what there are girls actually just play doubles, you know? Um, Then it just became like, wow, okay, it is a real thing. Like you don't, you can still make good money and play doubles and, and work your way up. And it's, you're not a failure, you know, but I think initially it was tough because so many tennis people, I don't even know a lot about tennis. They're like, Oh, you're just a doubles player. Or you know what I mean? They just, they think they don't have it really is, high expectations yeah. or, yeah. you know, connotations for doubles players because they just know singles players. It's all they show on ESPN, you know? Um, yeah. And- but yeah. And when you, because I guess when you started playing doubles, you were probably 150, 200 in the world doubles. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Did you did you go right? I'm playing doubles, and me and a other are gonna are gonna do that as a team. Or did you say I'm gonna go and play doubles, and now I'm gonna just try and find because different partners every week? Because I think that is also extremely difficult, and people don't realize how challenging that is as well. Yeah, it was tough. It was kind of one of those funny things. I remember being like, oh, Alexis won 10 doubles titles with 10 different partners. And people were like, oh my gosh, you know? And I'm like, yeah, like, I guess I'm just, I don't, I, I wasn't trying to be boastful or anything, but I was like, yeah, like it's, it's tough. Like so many girls have different schedules where you live, where you are, what tournaments you're playing and they're playing singles or whatever it is. And, um, it was not until maybe Aaron and I, Aaron Ratliff and I started playing and we kind of were like playing all these tournaments. We were set to play like a bunch of tournaments in a row. And once we did that, it was like, we started doing well, like 25K, 50K we won, 75K we won. You know, we were winning all these tournaments. And then it was like, oh, you can play Wimbledon qualies and doubles. And we're like, oh, they have qualies? Like, I didn't even know that, yeah, you know? Yeah. And 
once I think we hit that moment, I was like, wow, like I really want to do this full time. And then she kind of hit the moment because she was really, really just out of college, young in her career where she wanted to play singles. So at that moment, she was like, okay, I'm going to go play singles after Wimbledon. And that was tough because then I was like, okay, who am I going to play with? Now I just need to try to find people again. This is going to be kind of tough. And that's when Desiree and I first played together the week after Wimbledon and we won that WTA. Um, yeah, but then, it, it, you know, it, it's tough because then you try to play the Grand Slams and most likely you're going to play with singles player, which is even yeah. more tough. And you're not really going to be able to practice with them. And yeah, it's just this road where you just feel like you have to keep chucking away and keep building yeah. and keep, you know, working your way up and being in those situations and playing you know, those higher tournaments. Yeah, no, it is. It is, it is that process and you, you get in and then maybe you get in and then you, then you get seeded and then maybe you get a couple of, ne- of easier draws. And then, mm-hmm. and then once you're in the quarterfinals, quite often somebody pulls out or somebody is ready to go home and then you get an easier quarterfinal and then you, then you get seeded in the top four and then you, you, you avoid the top. It's this, it take, it does take time, but the, mm-hmm. the, the one thing I want to take you back, I think what you're saying is it's such, it's, it's gold for any players listening because Yes, you're delivering the message in an incredibly humble way. How, however, you shouldn't over underestimate what an amazing skill that is because that my first rule of doubles is pick a good partner. My, mm-hmm. my second rule of doubles is be a good partner. And, and, and I think, you know, your ability to be a good partner, which are life skills, by the way, this is after this <laughs> tennis thing, you know, this is, like, this is how you end up, working well in teams and being successful yeah. in business and whatever else it might be. People like to be with people that make them feel good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's it. That's an incredible skill, which I think a lot of tennis players don't have because I think a lot of tennis players are quite selfish in nature, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, just the nature of the sport brings that. So you winning 10 tournaments with 10 different partners says a lot about you as a person before we've even started talking about <laughs> forehands, backhands, you know, whatever else it might be. So, yeah, I guess I guess those are points I wanted to make. And I just it would be quite interesting to hear your take on what you think makes a good partner it, on, on the doubles court. Yeah, um, for me, I think it's just being really positive with your partner, you know, just telling them what things you would want to hear what I would want to hear you know I'm I very much am like swing away hit your shots if you miss I don't care as long as you're swinging for it you know what I mean and I think that's so important because if you think about it like the last thing you want to hear is like don't miss you know or someone to be mad at you like that's the worst is if you're you're playing with someone who's not happy who's who's kind of mad who takes it too serious I mean I just grew up like doubles is fun you know in college when I like really got better in in doubles it was just so much fun because I was lucky enough to have partners that always made me feel that way and I think learning that I knew I play my best when I'm getting like affirmation from my partner when they're telling me like I'm an aggressive player I'm gonna miss but if they can tell me hey keep swinging. You're doing great. You know what I mean? It, it gives you that confidence. You're like, yeah, that was, I just missed it by like a couple inches, like keep swinging, keep doing what you're doing. And I think doubles is such a high energy, like sport. And, and when you play it, I think it's so important to just have really high energy because 
that's the way I like to play. And that's something that I've had to learn going back with Des is that she necessarily doesn't play with the high of energy as I do all the time. And I have to learn like, let's not because she's mad at me. It's not because she's in a bad mood. It's just every player is different, you know, but I have to tell her like if she misses or whatever, like you're doing great. This, we're keep, let's keep going. Let's keep swinging. And I need her to tell me the same. So I think for me, I think that's like the number one most important thing is just being like a really supportive, um, supportive partner. We'd be a good doubles partnership. That was, the, <laughs> that, was that was the role I played. And that was the role <laughs> I liked someone to play with me as well. Yeah. My, and I think when I'm giving when I'm giving that to my partner, it also makes me relax. It makes me feel that way too. You know, I think the energy you give to someone else, it's also like what the energy you're feeling inside, you know? So I think that's also important to know. The way you speak to your doubles partner, did you speak to yourself like that when you played singles? <sighs> Probably not, but I really tried. I really, really tried to just be so super positive. I mean, if you look, if you talk to probably most people, they would say yeah. like, she's just always so positive. Like she's always right. like, I always had a rule. I never wanted my opponent to see anything negative from me because I knew how it feels to see something negative for my opponent. And I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. I have them on the ropes. They're getting mad. They're upset. They're cussing. They're throwing their racket. I haven't broken a racket since I was probably like 12. Like I've never thrown my racket. If I do, it's like very, very rare. I think I've probably thrown it like three times in my pro career. Like, so I think for me, that's, that's super important. Because the, because I, we, we do something at the academy in, in Spain where um, we get the players sometimes to, they have to play doubles, but they have to talk to their opponent the way they talk to themselves. So we'll we'll get them to write down five or six things that they say to each other. Mm -hmm. And then we say, okay, now secretly we'll do it. You know, it's not overly secret mm -hmm. now that I'm selling it on the podcast, mm -hmm. but secretly now you're playing doubles and you now have to speak to your partner and say the things that you say to yourself. And 80% of them can't even say it. Yeah. You know? And 20% of them say it, but they don't really deliver it like they mean it. And it's, and it's, it's my big thing. It's like, if, if, if in life we can, we can talk to ourselves the way that we talk to our doubles partner. Yeah. We'd have a much happier place, you know, and it's, I it's, agree for sure. And I think it's important to remember that, like, I try to have that mentality all the time and I feel like I do, but you know, everyone has good days and bad days. And I think it's just important to remember that on those bad days where when things are challenging, like go back to the things that like got you to where you are, you know, you've mentioned Craig, a few times uh, another one that i have to get to the bottom of here because I mean, i've known craig for many many years mm -hmm. and for those listening craig veal he's been on the he's been on the podcast a, a couple of times but how does uh, an american girl from <laughs> florida with a chilean dad who goes to university of alabama and trains in birmingham <laughs> alabama come across craig veal from sutton I know. English. It's funny. I've told this story multiple because I feel like so many people are like, how did you meet Craig? Like that's, <laughs> I get it all the time. It's pretty funny, but it's just, it's also one of those things that just, it happened the way it was supposed to happen. You know, I um, was playing with Erin and Erin plays for New Zealand. She also, she's from Canada, plays for New Zealand. 
So when we went to um, Wimbledon for qualies, uh, her coach from from New Zealand Neil actually Carter. Neil Carter. There you go. New yeah. Craig, and so I guess had I remember Aaron telling me like before our first match was like. Oh yeah, I think you know we're gonna have this coach come. Uh, he's just gonna come watch us if we need anything because we didn't have anybody with us, you know. And we wanted to feel more professional, whatever. And and I was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. So he came, and I think we met like briefly before the match. And I just remember like looking over, and he was like always jotting things down, like oh. And I was like, what is he doing? Like this is really weird. Like I feel like most coaches, you're like they're like really into it, and they're given a lot of support. And like he was, but he was also like very like every time I looked had his head down because he was writing something. And, you know, later on, I find out that he does all these stats and tells you all these things. And you're like, wow, I didn't, I remember him telling me Aaron and I would run this play that never worked. It worked 0% of the time. And he would just tell us little things like that, that would be like, wow. Like I didn't even notice we try to run this play and it never works. It felt so good just stop though. doing it. it. Felt good. Just stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, yeah, it was, it's funny, you know, having him and then we make this run, we beat two really good teams to make qualities and we lose to the number two seed, Krajikova, Siniakova, first round, six, three in the third, you know, and who had just won French Open. And that was kind of the turning point for me in my career where I felt like, wow, I really can be a top doubles player. This is what they look like. And I'm there, you know, it's just going to take building and, and playing these tournaments week in and week out. And and working my way up. And so, yeah, Craig and I just stayed in touch and he would follow my, my career the rest of the couple months. And um, then that December, he came over to Florida for like a preseason training. And that's kind of when everything started. Brilliant. And what's, what's the number one thing that you look for in a coach? Um, I think I really like our dynamic, our relationship. I really like how positive he is. You know, I think we're all hard on each other and hard on ourselves. And I think Craig's just been so good at like being able to bounce ideas off of being able to just genuinely talk to you and be like, what do you think about this? Should I work on this? Should I work on that? You know, and I just feel like he's so open. He's so good with, especially with doubles things. I mean, right off the bat, him just knowing all of his stats and everything that he does when he watches the match and just things like that. I mean, doubles is so much about the numbers and it's so like half the time the matches are such little margin and if you can just if you realize one little thing that you're doing it can make a world of a difference um but he's been my first coach really that I've chosen outside of my my dad you know I mean other than that is like okay my college coach but they were kind of already there for me you know it wasn't like someone I really chose and yeah, it was a really big step for me because I'd never had someone that I trusted that I, you know, and, and obviously we got to know each other as time went on and spending time together and coming to tournaments and feeling more comfortable. Um, but he's just, he's been like such a turning point in my career. Someone I, I really needed to have someone and be more professional in that sense. Um, and not just have like my parents or like a, a coaching friend or someone, you know, so he's, he's been really, really great. Lovely words. And and I, it's lovely for me to hear those words about Craig as well, because in British tennis, he is just, he's, he's not only known as one of the nicest guys in British tennis, he's also got, got rightly so an incredible reputation now, you know, and for so I think mm-hmm. he's, he's such a, and, and those that haven't listened to Craig's podcast, I would fully suggest going and listening to it because 
it, it is such a humble story he's been on as mm-hmm. a as, as a tennis coach and now he's he's there at Wimbledon final US Open <laughs> final French Open yeah. final you know US Open semi-finals and and having well-deserved success you know right now to move into a couple more things and I promise this is the last couple of bits before we go mm-hmm. to our traditional quick fire round if you could take any attribute from a from a current doubles player on the tour what would it be hmm that's an interesting question honestly I don't think I would take anything I feel pretty good like I mean I feel I'm not perfect but I feel like I know my strengths and I work around them and yeah I don't I don't think I would really take anything too much like I'm I am me because of me you know like I feel like my one of my biggest strengths is just my I feel like my mental attitude all the time you know and I think having that tennis we've all hit so many tennis balls you know I think I don't think I would take anything from anyone else that's good answer hey there's nothing wrong with that answer you know (laughs) I, I, I like the answer and and a couple of little things on you what are you most grateful for in your life right now for sure my family and my support team I mean they're the biggest they're why I can play and and be the way I am on court you know I think it's so much because of my family and my husband and the support they give me is just uncanny and um they would do anything for me and so I think to me that's it's the most important thing and what thing do people often get wrong about you I don't know maybe sometimes I'm like too like fierce on court or something so I'm not very nice or something maybe if they feel that way but I'm just really 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 competitive so so anybody listening she didn't mean it she, yeah she's she's really nice and I can I can I've spent an hour with you and I can, can tell that you absolutely are it's been a, it's been a massive pleasure to to sit and talk to you Alexa and what about the future what does the future hold for you well, so we're going to Chicago and then Indian Wells and hopefully the WTA finals. That's been our biggest goal all year is to make the finals. Um, so that's that's what we're gunning for. Well, good luck. You've got a big supporter here. And, and I know so that much. with the those that are listening to the podcast after listening to this, I'm sure you'll have a lot more supporters as well. You know, it's a for, for us to have you come on a few days after semi-finalist at the US Open, it, it says a lot about you, Alexa, and I, I really appreciate it. Now, are you ready for the quick fire round? I guess so. Um, it's don't worry, I'm being uh, I'm being kind to you. I wasn't I wasn't so kind to Des when she came on, but that was a that was more of a she deserved it. She won Wimbledon, she deserved it. She needed some. She definitely deserved times. it. Um, your, what's your favorite Grand Slam? Wimbledon. I formation or normal formation? I. Sudden death or normal juice? Normal juice. Your toughest ever opponent? I feel like Nicole Malakar is a really tough opponent. Joint WTA and ATP, yes or no? Yes. Let's or no let's? No let's. Medical timeout or no medical timeout? Medical timeout.
Toilet breaks? <laughs> yes, but short. <laughs> what's, what's one rule change that you would have in tennis? Initially, my first thought is to have the women making the same prize money as the men. <laughs> but I don't really think that's a technical rule. We could open that. I mean, I'm, I, I, I think it's a good discussion. And I, I mean, I have a, my, my take on this is, I mean, one, I would say, if it's a joint tournament, it has to be the same because it's mm-hmm. it, it ultimately it's supply and demand. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and, and if we want to get technical, more, more people globally watch the Radicanu Fernandez yeah. final than, than they did the Medvedev and Djokovic final, you know? So yeah. if we want to go down that route, but my, my take on it is, if there's a tournament next week in Austria and there's a tournament next week in San Francisco, regardless of which is, if it's mixed, if it's men's, if it's women's, whatever money San Francisco brings in, in ticket sales, television rights, you know, all of those things, there's a certain pot of money and the the players that are playing that event deserve that pot of money. If there's mm-hmm. the one in Austria happens to bring in less, then I think there's there's less money that, that that's gonna that's gonna go around. And, and and I think we shouldn't be presumptuous to think that the men would bring in more ticket sales and television rights. I think we're going through a period of time of Djokovic, Djokovic Nadal, Federer, you know, that probably has. They've been the global stars, but they're mm-hmm. on the way, they're on the way out. And yeah. in in four or five years. Who's who's to say that the the global stars aren't going to be the females who are going to demand right. who are going to demand more of that, you know? So I, I, my, that that would be my take. I think when people start saying playing five sets and three sets, it's complete nonsense. You know, you can't. <laughs> you know, you don't pay more money to go and watch a longer movie than you do. Yeah. To go, you know, it's 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 about entertainment ultimately, and I, I would love to think that one day they would all come together. It would be nice yeah. to think, um, you know, those close to it, I think, realize that to bring together so many different organizations and Grand Slams and ITFs and ATPs and WTAs obviously is a bit of it is is a bit of an issue. Um, but I think the men need to be careful if they think that they are going to be the ones that are going to be demanding more money over the next few years, because I think women's tennis is very much on the up. So, yeah, definitely. Um, I I would say if I I was going to think about a rule change is not having singles players being able to use their singles ranking all the time to play doubles. I think that's a huge one. It it led to me. I was, I was ranked about 130, 140 doubles. And it was one of the reasons I stopped because I was struggling financially and I thought it maybe wasn't quite for me anyway, but at that Mm -hmm. ranking, before that rule change, I would have been getting into Grand Slams. Um, but basically, I cut that in half. And yeah. I then saw the journey being quite a bit longer. Um, ultimately, I wasn't wasn't tough enough to, to, to put the work into doing that. So I'm certainly not complaining. But I think <laughs> I, I would certainly like to see that as well. Um, my, my last question, who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Oh, interesting. Before you answer, well, you, you, you are responsible for getting them on. <laughs> so be careful what you say. I think um, Erin Routliff would be a good one. She's someone that, you know, introduced me to Craig and has been a big part of my career. And I think her career is just really starting to get started now. I mean, she's making some really good moves and 
she played with Layla and made her first one her first Grand Slam match at U.S. Open, made mm. third round. So I think uh, she's the up and comer that you that would be really good to talk to you. We'd love to get it on. I'll I'll be in touch, you know, to to pass that on. It's a, this whole thing that we're just trying to give back to the tennis community. We want the baton to keep getting passed on and keep bringing these wonderful stories. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I appreciate it. I hope uh, my answers were good and, and a lot of people, you know, can maybe take some of my life experiences and use it, you know, for theirs. So another great episode. Big thank you to Alexa for coming on to the show. You know, I, I never underestimate how, what a big deal it is for these players to come on so soon after a Grand Slam, the same with Joe Salisbury a couple of days ago and, and another fantastic episode to unpack. It's great to have you as always beside me, Vicky, after the last couple of weeks doing this on a, on a video call. It's <laughs> nice for us to be, be back together and discussing this, this great episode. Oh, and Alexa was awesome. I really enjoyed that. I thought she was so open and so honest and spoke really well. We're just talking at the moment about having um, a guest speaker for a tournament that we're going to be running next month. And I was sitting there going, she would be amazing for our players. And so many, so many amazing messages that that she gave that I hope will ring true with, with players, parents, coaches alike. And, you know, we can talk about someone being number 12 in the world and have kind of gone straight in. Obviously, Emma Raducanu being the one right now at age 18 winning her Grand Slam. But Alexa's 30 years old and she's been making her way up for the, for, for the last few years. And, and, and the big point that I would take from that is just her management of expectation. You know, when she was younger, it felt as if she had a lot of expectation on her and maybe that did cause her some problems. I, I say all the time on the pod, when there's a gap between reality and expectation, we have problems. But then I thought it was fascinating that she said she went to college and she had zero expectation yeah. to go and play professional tennis. And then she kind of went along the line. And, you know, there's my favorite word again, that stupid word that the Americans use that isn't a word, winningest. It's not a word. I refuse <laughs> to accept it's a word. <laughs> the winningest player in Alabama women's tennis history. And then, yeah, let's I'll maybe give it a go on the Pro Tour. And now here she is as a Grand Slam finalist, a, a Grand Slam semi-finalist. And uh, who's going to say that she's not going to go and win a Grand Slam over the next couple of years as well? I think so too. Her and Desiree are an awesome pair. And it was just amazing to hear her story, her journey and the perseverance she's shown overcoming the tear of her ACL and how that really changed her mindset on her tennis. And you know, we're all talking about Raducanu at the moment, at 18 years old, winning a Grand Slam. But her story is more, you know, a reality, I think. Slow and steady wins the race. Hey, that's almost like a seamless link into one of our next guests because Matt Little, Andy Murray's fitness coach, has actually just brought a book out called The Way of the Tortoise. And it's all about the hare and the tortoise and how it is, is that very the title? much... The way of the tortoise is the title, you know, and it's in the whole story is around, are you the hare who, you know, off you go, you know, quick out the blocks, but, but aren't able to, to last the course of a career or are you a slow, steady, you, 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 and then you get your rewards later on. And I think tennis very much is a sport of that slow and steady, you know, and, and Alexa certainly brings that story to life. So I'll be asking 
We'll be asking Matt a little about that in the next couple of weeks, but I'm also very excited to announce within the next 48 hours, we'll also be releasing the podcast with Alistair Filmer, who was the coach of Emma Raducanu between the ages of 11 and 14. And that is an absolute beauty. I, I loved it. I genuinely, I'll only ever say what I think on these, on these episodes. And I came off and I said to Alistair, that was one of my favourites. You know, it really was. I, I love the chat and I think you guys will too. You'll hear a lot about Emma and and, and her her story through those ages, uh, but also about Alistair and what's made him tick and the lessons he's learned from that period and also what he's brought to her game. So look out for that one. And as always, we'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on the episode with Alexa. You can email us at ctc.podcast at sototennis.com or you can head over to our Instagram page at ctc.podcast. And if you haven't already, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts too. Absolutely. They they really do make a difference, guys. The, the podcast is now listened to in 115 plus countries globally and the feedback is is so good we want this to continue getting into the ears of those that need to hear it the most thank you for your support as always but until next time i'm dan kiernan and we are control the controllables <laughs>